this podcast contains strong language and adult themes from the outset. Hi everyone and thanks for listening to Because You Watch, the podcast where comedians pitch completely original TV shows and movie ideas. My name's Beck Hill and with the help of producer Rory... Hello, that's me, I'm him. You are? I am. I'm going to put together a slate of totally genius ideas submitted by our guests each week. Um... Rory, yes. how are you going today? I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm feeling extra super hyped up because we've got some amazing uh, people in with us today. We do have some amazing people. In fact, I'll introduce our first one. It's the stand-up comedian and co-host of hit podcast Do The Right Thing, Michael Legg. Hi, clap, world. Clap, 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 clap. clap, clap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you can hear that, the other clap is uh, it does belong to our other guest who is uh, the comedian and host of Questing Time, also half centaur, it's Paul Foxcroft. Hello. I can confirm that I've seen him. He you is. can confirm that you've seen me. Weird, like, terrible boast. I've seen, I've seen the, half, the half centaur half. Oh my. <laughs> this got euphemistic real quick. <laughs> how are you going? Uh, first of all, how are you going, Michael? Do you know what? I'm great. I'm in my uh, natural ha- habitat, my natural sort of like dreamlike state really which is complete isolation um so it's 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 all worked out for me I've, i don't feel compelled to leave the house i don't feel compelled to journey to durham i don't feel i'm i'm enjoying this is what i'm saying and and weirdly i had a cough for seven months easily seven months and it seems to have gone away in isolation and what i'm saying is i've never felt better I've never felt better about myself. Wow. And I'm having a really great time. And that's basically why I agreed to do this podcast, so I could tell someone that I'm doing really well on my own, thanks. Is it like whenever you, like in Frankenstein, there's there's mm-hmm. that like hermit guy who lives out in the forest with his daughter and her husband or his son and his, her, whatever it is. They live like out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah farming and stuff Mm. and I'm always like who is that person who decides to be like a hermit character and it's you Michael you're the hermit yeah I mean I would be delighted if uh the monster arrived and and you know threatened to (laughs) take my daughter down great there's do you know there's two less people in my life I don't need that kid and I don't need this guy that's he's not even a person he's a load of people He's a crowd, and I don't like it. <laughs> That's the first hot take we've had of this episode, is that Frankenstein is technically a crowd. Three's company, Frankenstein's too much. He's too many people. He's basically a massive cheater twister, and that's all he is. <laughs> Do you think, was that the original goal of, of Dr. Frankenstein, to finally yeah. beat Twister as a concept? I will win! <laughs> Right, Rory, what category have you got for us? This time it is post-apocalypse films, which is a real category on Netflix, and it has 32 titles within it at time of recording. Six of those entries are also in the genre of some kind of horror thing, and 15 of them fall under some kind of sci-fi thing. Notable entries uh, include Bird Box, uh, A Quiet Place, Waterworld, and The End of Evangelion. Uh, Have any of you guys seen any post-apocalypse films, especially some of the ones in this category. Um, well, I really like, uh, what's uh, what's the one, uh, it's called, like, Just Shut Up or whatever it's called. What's it called? <laughs> I think it's called Just Shut Up. Do you mean The, do you mean the Quiet Place? <laughs> yes. Yeah, whatever. Um, 
Yeah, that one. And yeah. it's about a family that have to just shut up. Yeah. And to me, they were a great <laughs> they were a great symbol of what a perfect life could be. Because if they if they just shut up, nothing bad will happen. And why did people not get that message at the end of the movie? Or indeed during one of the times I went to the cinema to see it during the fucking screening. Ooh. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I purposefully didn't see it at the cinema because I knew I would get too angry at people talking. I saw it twice, mate. Twice in the <laughs> cinema. What about some of the uh, the films that should be in here but aren't? Like, is anyone here a, a real connoisseur at end of the world stuff? Is there anything that's glaringly omitted from uh, this category at the moment? Oh, yeah, I think there's a, f- there's a few good absentees. I think Home Alone didn't push it far enough. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, if they really wanted to uh, show how hard it was for a child to look after himself, I mean, everyone on the planet should have left. <laughs> uh, like, that, so that would have been a really good movie. This is like a sci-fi colonization film where everyone goes to yeah. live on Mars and then they're on the shuttle and they're like, Kevin! Yeah, and th- yeah. they forgot Kevin. And then, like, th- there's like a prison spaceship. And the guy who's in charge of the prison spaceship just went, oh, those two burglar guys! Yeah. Because they forgot the two burglar guys. And the only three people on Earth is Kevin and the two burglar guys. Still a great movie. I I think uh, Blast from the Past was missing from the list. I mean, I know technically it's not apocalypse, but Brendan Fraser's character really believes it's post-apocalyptic. There's a lot of things here that I think are borderline undeserving of being in the category. So we've got uh, the... uh, Hit comedy movie, This Is The End, from uh, 2013, starring James Franco, Jonah Hill, and Seth Rogen. That movie, correct me if I'm wrong, feels very much like a current apocalypse movie rather than a post-apocalypse movie. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely just apocalypse. Yeah, it's mid-apocalypse. It is It, it is very much mid In fact, the description on Netflix even says, uh, playing themselves in this witty black comedy, Seth Rogen and a bevy of Hollywood notables are stuck together at a party when the apocalypse dawns. Yeah. Well, I mean, hang on. But by that, by that logic, would you admit Day of the Dead, but not Dawn of the Dead? I... Because it's, it's too early in the day. Yeah, it's dead. too early in the day. Well, that's a good you, question. What you want is a post-lunch... <laughs> That's a a very good question And that's something that I think we should really drill down to Before we start pitching our own post-apocalypse movies Is what exactly makes a movie a post-apocalypse movie And I think a really good place to start is How post-the-apocalypse do we need to be? So what's the time span on this? Like, is it like lunchtime after the apocalypse? Or is it like a a working week later? Or what what is the time frame you think For it to truly be a post-apocalypse? I think it definitely has to be pre-tidying up so it's post-apocalyptic, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but pre-tidying up. Because in, in many ways, The Wrath of Khan doesn't really work as a post-apocalyptic movie, but it is post-apocalypse. World War Three has happened on Earth, but, mm. you know, uh, Starfleet has really tidied up. Then, then, like, 400 years have happened. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's been a lot of tidying <laughs> up and everyone's fine. <laughs> and, it's like an after-party. Right. And, it, and it, anytime I've, I've seen the, the great TV series Threads, I've always gone, what are you bloody crying about? You're on the road to Wrath of Khan, which is a great <laughs> film. Yeah. But in a way, if you view the Ice Age as an apocalyptic event, and I think it's fair to do mm. so, then Gone with the Wind is technically a post-apocalyptic film. Absolutely. As is Babe. Sure. As is all of them. I mean, how much cleaning up is in that movie? If, if there's not much, it's debatable. Hey, hang on. Just while we're talking about post-apocalyptic stuff, I think Thomas the Tank Engine fits into this. I don't know, is it? Well, isn't there a thing where, like, the land in which Thomas the Tank Engine 
lives is a sort of totalitarian extremist society where if you disobey you get walled up into a cave <laughs> that is and absolutely that's outside true. Of it. Yeah. isn't outside of it like anarchic chaotic mad max land that, that's the reason they stay on the tracks because you don't you don't want to veer off the tracks you don't want to see what's out there i miss the mad max films where all the cars had faces <laughs> and feelings yes. speaking yeah. of which why are there no mad max films in the post-apocalyptic list on netflix it's I think very, one, very good point. A rule yeah. of the post-apocalyptic genre should be there needs to be at least one person who is advertised as being mad. <laughs> right. Mm. Preferably uh, on the poster. The great thing about the Mad Max films, though, they're so post-apocalyptic, pre-tidying up, that they get messier as the movies go on. Like yeah, by yeah. the fourth one, what, it, what it's called, Mad Max Awful Street, whatever it's called. Um <laughs> Like it's pretty untidy by that stage. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, no one's no one's thrown a Hoover around anywhere. Yeah, tidying up has never felt further away. It does also feel like Dustbuster would be the perfect thing for that place. It's the dustiest of all Mad the worlds. Mad Max Dustbuster, that's what it's called. Yeah. Mad yeah. Max Dustbuster. <laughs> if we're talking about the mess, so we know yeah. we now know that for for it to be a post apocalypse, it definitely has to be pre the tidying up. Yeah. But what sure. about how big the mess has to be? So how mu- how much of an event has to happen to be an apocalypse? Like, what are we reckoning? I think it's Is quite, it... you can't have just like a messy house. <laughs> and then it might yeah. be like post-apocalyptic and then like the twist at the end is they leave and it's normal yeah it's a very small scale post-apocalypse it's like my house is trashed but everywhere else is fine yeah it's, <laughs> i think the film has to be about like we we're trying to survive rather than i feel really embarrassed you've popped around and i haven't really done the place right yet <laughs> yeah i don't think that should be the theme of the film i think it's we, we, we've missed i think we're missing a subgenre of post-apocalyptic films where there's a subgenre where, where everything is fine and there is no mess until you look behind the curtain and everything is mess. Oh, it's I like see. The, 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 yeah. You're safe in a dome, or are you? Yeah, the surprise mm. post-apocalypse film. The dome has a giant rug that everyone has swept all of the <laughs> post-apocalyptic mess under. How much of the movie do we think needs to be a post-apocalypse? Because, for example, Bird Box is on this list, but in Bird Box, a good Which amount of the seen. film... Well, a good amount of the film is... is apocalypse currently happening and from the very beginning so no spoilers it is flashing forward to a time later which you can assume is some sort of post-apocalypse situation um so uh like what's the split got to be like for example a movie like end of evangelion the apocalypse happens nearer the end of the film it is not uh it is not a post-apocalypse film for the vast majority of it sounds like a pre-apocalypse film exactly exactly so 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 we're gonna try and set our movies at least mostly post-apocalypse i assume yeah 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 i think so All right, we have now defined that category categorically. So shall we start with the pitches? Michael, what do you have for us? It's a TV show that I'm pitching mm. uh, right now. Um, it definitely falls into... Uh, can I give you the, the exact genre? Oh, please. Yes, please do. It's sort of a post-apocalyptic sci-fi horror romantic drama talent contest. Ooh, okay. Yeah, specific. Y- I yeah, like it. Yeah, that's what I've gone for. Let me, let me talk you through it. The world is run by the money men. The bookies. Yeah. The bookies now live in luxury while the poor dream of getting out of their hellhole lives by raising enough money to gamble and free themselves from their poverty by singing country music standards and being judged by the public each week. Now, 
this is all happening after a global outbreak of COVID-73. I I I know, but I should say that uh, this is actually set in 2173. Now, millions are living half-lives, walking like the undead and feeding on human hair. (laughs) (laughs) It's just... It's just how the virus spreads, okay? If you get your, if you get your hair bitten, you have between three days and eighty-five years to live. Oh, no. <laughs> now, now here's where we get to the main story. Buck Butter is a man with three lives. He's an ex-gambler, an ex-country music manager and mogul, and now a single parent with a child who got their hair bitten. Oh no. Buck has no choice. If he wants to buy medicine to protect his daughter, he has to take what little money he has to the only city left on earth, Durham, and gamble. (laughs) Yeah, he has to gamble for the first time in 40 years. It will be a walk lasting months, but he has to do it and bring his daughter and any lost souls he meets along the way with him. That's my pitch. Now, now we've got the full context. What is the title of that bad boy? Yeah. It's a road story. It's based on the fact that betting can save your lives. The title is Gamble Ramble. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. I like yeah. it. Yeah, pretty happy with it. Pretty happy with it. <laughs> you know that appeals to me. I love web play. And what what are people betting on in this in this sort of future? Well, this is it. I... I'm hoping that the viewer uh, in the first episode or two going, oh, I see what's happening. Uh, People bet on horses and then they win money. But of course, the evil corporation is keeping, you know, is fixing a lot of the wreck. That's what I'm hoping. But as maybe the series goes on, we find it's not actually horses. Maybe it's, it's people in horse suits, you know. Maybe there hasn't been a horse on earth in like a hundred years well you see well that that perfect that perfectly works mm. yeah because then they they can rig the matches because they're not even real horses and that's why they're so rich yeah it's exactly exactly it's yeah. i mean if that does not reflect exactly what's happening today <laughs> then i don't know what thought so your what was your name your main character's name again Buck butter butter is in the uh yeah. the piece of food yeah it's in the spreadable <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> buck butter is kind of like your if if you know if this this show, I guess you would say, is what sort of similar to The Walking Dead. Yeah, very, very. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that people that if they miss one or two series, they'll know when they do watch an episode, they've missed nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> a good way to make it. Yeah, it's Walking Dead uh, meets like uh, like Ocean's Eleven. But they've not been formally introduced. So they, they're sitting awkwardly <laughs> together. <laughs> right. This is good. This is good. And our pilot episode, what, what are we see? How are you setting up the pilot episode? Oh, well, the pilot episode has to be, uh, we have to see how, uh, how post-apocalyptic uh, this world is, I think. I think we have to see how rich the bloody money corporate men are, the bookies. And we have to see how really regretful Buck Butter is of his previous lives, uh, both in the gambling and music businesses. <laughs> well, the, but also, most of these, you, you talk about the big, 
corporations and stuff feels like there needs to be a mm. big bad like a main baddie mm. who sort of represents these corporations i've got some main characters if you'd like me to talk you through oh, the yes, main please, characters please. no i want yeah. i want additional like like the walking dead i want additional characters to come and go because i do want people every week i do want someone to sing a country and western song and the public to judge whether or not they were good enough to be in the next episode of gamble ramble <laughs> <laughs> let's start with Bob. <coughs> sorry i just I've just realised that that would mean this has a one-week rolling production yeah, time. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> there, there, to be really honest, in a, po- a post-apocalyptic world, you don't have a lot of time if you want to survive. And I think the production really has to reflect that. That's yeah. fair. So let's go through the characters. Buck Butter. Um, I see a lot of myself in Buck Butter. Um, he's in his 60s. Uh, quiet, but full of bitter rage. Dead wife, alive daughter. That's that man. Yeah. Um, I've come up with another character who he meets along the way. Her name's Gwyneth. Now, Gwyneth is really interesting. Gwyneth is very interesting. She dreamt that Wayne Karate, head of hyperglobal Ladbrokes Corporation, she dreamt that he killed her sick daddy. And now she has left her daddy at home alone. To go to Durham to seek revenge. Nice. Right. Wait, she's left her alive dad at yeah, home yeah. to seek revenge it's, it's for his death sick. that she imagined. Yeah. But you know how it feels when you wake up. It feels very real. Mate, yeah. If, yeah. if that's how you feel, no one, no one can make you change your mind. Yeah, exactly. Now, I've already mentioned Wayne Karate. Let's have a look at this guy. Wayne Karate. He is a dick. He's money obsessed. He uses orphans as toilet paper. <sighs> he controls... Right? He sounds awful, doesn't he? What an absolute rotter. His toilet must be huge. Really, really (laughs) unsmelly, because, like, orphans. Imagine the plumbing (laughs) needed to flush orphans. Oh, my word. (laughs) But do you know what? They probably think it's like a water slide. What it is, it's just a man (laughs) wiping their bottom on them, but then they go down a water slide, which I could think of worse fates. Yeah, the thing is, the thing is, there's such a lack of water in this post-apocalyptic world that the orphans oh. are sort of pushed down the toilet to clean it on the way. Oh. Like, oh God, like Victorian chimney sweeps. Yeah. <laughs> orphans are water in this post-apocalyptic <laughs> future. So, <laughs> so at one, one point, no. point you have a, sorry, just have a glug, glug, yeah. glug, glug, glug. Ah, refreshing yeah. orphan. I was an orphan. Yeah. I mean, exactly. we are 70% water, so it, it the story checks out. So yeah, you just, if you really force a straw into an orphan, you'll get a pretty good drink out of it. <laughs> now, like a sort, like a sort of writhing Capri Sun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's a Capri Sun, but with an S O N. Yeah. Yeah. So he's obsessed with money. Now he controls everything, but is often undermined by the cryogenic brain of kindly old Jeremiah Ladbrooks, who opened Ladbrooks back in 1965 as a children's hospital. Oh. You, you, can, you can see they're not going to get on. Mainly because he keeps drinking the patients. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and that's a big no-no as far as kindly old brain in a jar Jeremiah. So I'm, assu- I'm assuming to make sure that no one votes off the, uh, the lead villains or anything, that Wayne Karate is going to be an absolutely exceptional country, country singer. Oh, I mean, he's going to sing like the man in black himself. He's going to... You, you will hate that guy, but that voice... Will Smith. Yes, yeah. exactly. You can't deny it. You can't so, deny so that. He'll, a, be, he'll be rapping. Or, I mean, the worst rapper in the world, he'll be doing all of that. But we'll, 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 we'll love him for it. Also, at the end of every episode, does, are the end credits wrapped over like the end of a Will Smith film? 
Yeah, it's exactly that. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's a country music show, but I absolutely insist on Public Enemy doing the theme tune. I, I insist on it. Nice. <laughs> Fantastic. So well, you've got Public Enemy in there now. Well, who do you see playing these characters then? Who, who would be Buck Butters? Right, well... I, I've I've done some initial casting. I I'm sort of seeing Buck Butter, sort of like Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, you know, because Billy's got those sad eyes that, that I think we all fall for. <laughs> um, I see Gwyneth as Rosario Dawson because she's feisty and she looks mental. You know, she looks like she could really. Is she the one from uh, Brook- uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine? Yes. Rosar- Rosario Dawson has been in uh, Sin City, Seven Pounds, yeah. a movie oh, called Trance, yes. Zombieland's Double Tap. I'm way off. Yes, she just looks like at any given moment she could completely change personality and throttle you, <laughs> and I like that about her. Yes, it's endearing. Yeah. Uh, now Wayne Karate, that's the one that you, you've got to nail it. You've got to nail it. Absolutely. And I want Wayne Karate to be absolutely despised the second you see him. So, Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. He's a good-looking fella. He's a good... Well, maybe, but, like, you would never get bored of hitting him with a spade, would you? <laughs> I've got great news as well. Tom Hiddleston... I've got a video here of Tom Hiddleston playing an acoustic guitar. He very much, I think, could hold up his end of the bargain in terms of country music. Exactly, yeah, of course. As soon as you said Tom Hiddleston is playing an acoustic guitar, a little voice in the back of my head went, oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously this this idea has got legs. I mean, loads of legs if you include the orphans. Um, so how are we going to pitch this to... It, we're back in the real world now. How are we going to pitch this to a commissioner? Because like, I think it's always really good to have a stunt. Like how are you? If you walk into the into the boardroom where there's all these uh, commissioners looking at you, you're about to pitch the gamble ramble. What is the thing you're gonna do to just shock them to really get them on board immediately? Have you got like some kind of stunt you can do? Well, I mean, you could burst into the room screaming and throw water in their face, and they go, "Did you not like that?" Well, guess what? In the future, there is no water, so you would find. In the, in the future, that would have been a child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you that. think that was bad now? Imagine a little boy in your face. D- d- edit that out. Edit that out. For the love of God, edit that out. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening all the way to the middle. We'll be back with more in a second, but I just need to let you know that you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching for at YouWatchedPod. Also, it'd be ruddy amazing if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes two seconds, and Rory and I would really appreciate it. Rory more so. I've had loads of five-star reviews, but I think Rory probably needs it for his confidence. So that was Gamble Ramble. I'm enjoying that. Uh, I want to move on and hear what you've got for us, Paul. Well, guys, get ready. And this is one of the great things about going second, is I've realised just how underdeveloped my idea is <laughs> compared to my... Um, Get ready for it, like to the point where like, I don't have a title that I'm set, settled on for this. I'm going to give you the pitch first, and we'll whittle down to a title. Okay, okay? got you. Our protagonist is a botanist, and her assistant and her brother. So we've got we've got the three three protagonists. Yep. Um, her name, and I did this. I wrote this last night when I was very tired. I couldn't sleep um, because of the um, tremendous amount of uh, dread sure. in the world we live in now. So I wrote this quite late at night. Her name is Cassandra Plant, mm-hmm. uh, and she's a doctor of botany. Mm-hmm. Um, and her assistant uh, is her assistant is just Benedict Cumberbatch. 
he's already got a kind of planty sounding name so it's it's fine i think yeah that does work yeah. uh, but i like he's like researching a role i think i don't know why he's there <laughs> and her brother who's her brother whose name i've written down as michael leg <laughs> sure um but it won't yeah. be me it'll um, be the actor michael leg yeah, yeah playing you but um so what happens is um they're doing you know normal botany uh science mm-hmm. we've all done it and there is a there's a mishap in the plant lab sure um and they are uh, knocked out and cocooned by oh, right. uh, plant matter and sort of frozen in time for an. It's not clear how long right. they are frozen in time. They wake up, they break out of these sort of like pea pod like husks that they're trapped in, and they wake to enter a world where um, the ingredients of salad have been evolved into sentient ambulatory forms, and now oh. they're in. They're the dominant species, and humanity is a sort of. Um, idiot uh subspecies uh it's planet of the apes but with salads sure um is where we're at so but the thing is coming from the past cassandra benedict and michael are the only people who know how to make uh salad dressing (laughs) so and quite a variety of them uh but also here's the thing there's not only are there like massive tomatoes with a face Mm -hmm. and limbs Mm -hmm. there's also like normal tomatoes and the only real the only real food available is salad so there's like a constant there's a constant acid like existential t- debate like going cannibals. on is it okay to exist yeah. well so are they are they cannibals are they just eating their precursors what is it yeah um and um then uh, yeah so all people are eating that so the, the, the salad dressing becomes a clothing for the salad people uh but also a means of making them more delicious yeah. uh and oh. therefore sort of Allows people like if you fire salad dressing at an opposing army, then they become food. Are they all going to eat each other? Is that it? They just can't resist <laughs> yeah, the that's smell what war, of each that's other. That's what war is now. That's what war is now. War is who can, which army can eat the other army first. <laughs> so you say that this is like Planet of the Apes, but with plants. Uh, salad, very specifically sorry, salad. salad. Sorry, with salad. So there are. So... I should point out, it's not just plants. There are also lumps of tuna and and some eggs. <laughs> Great. <laughs> So I, I'm assuming that this is going to end in a similar way to Planet of the Apes. Uh, no, no, you think that there is actually they, there is a massive Statue of Liberty, but no one cares. Um, <laughs> I thought there was going to be a massive uh, like Holland and Barrett or yeah. like Whole Foods at the end <laughs> in the middle of a beach and people crying and screaming to the sky. Yeah. Here's here's the thing. I really like this idea. I really like the concept, which is it really makes you think about well, that's how. You know, meat eaters are. I mean, it's it's speciesist, isn't it? Like, what are you eating? You're actually, yeah. are we not eating ourselves when you eat meat? To have that then pushed onto the vegetable world, I think is a really interesting concept. But let me ask you this question. Are there good uh, vegetables, uh, salad vegetables? Like, is there a friendly spring onion that wants to help? Oh, yeah. So I think like the main faction of the salad folks is there's a sort of tomato, um, tomato dynasty. <laughs> So there's a tomato, right. a tomato empress yeah. mm-hmm. um, who has, has, has a, a sort of seed-based vice-like grip on the economy and is basically perpetuating a lot of wars to keep people in check. But yeah, I, I, do you know what? I was, I, I, Spring Onion is an ideal... What's her name? Oh, I haven't got... I've just written the tomato queen. 
So I'm sure. open for. No, I like it. But I think a spring onion is a great ally to have. I think there's like a fifth column, like a sort of underground, yeah, faction of, of vegetables. I think a spring onion is a great a great figure to lead that. Yeah, and maybe some corn. Yeah, well, see, what I was thinking, I think because I really like the idea that there's a hierarchy, that there's a royal family in many ways. Like if you've got a queen's matter, then maybe you might have the the government of lettuce or something like that. But just thinking of the proles. The ordinary people would probably yeah. just be croutons, wouldn't they? Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned the croutons. So, twist, <laughs> end of series one, sure. Sandra and, and Benedict and Michael are fleeing the Tomato Queen's armies who are trying to cover them in um, French dressing. And they, they barrel through the forest and they get to what appears to be like a, a cliff um, and they're stuck. And they, they, they go, screw it, let's Thelma and Louise this, let's... Let's bush and Sundance this, and they jump off the cliff, and the cliff is just like a painted-on thing. <laughs> yes, and there's a drop rather, so they just jump off the cliff onto a platform, and there's a door, and they step through it, and they realise this whole situation has been orchestrated by a ruling class of actual humans. Oh, um, and there's oh. countless, there's like hundreds of these massive worlds, and they go into the next one, and that's where the bread took over. <laughs> right. Whoa. Oh, so it's like Westworld now. So there's like a bread world. Yeah. And so season two is about like all the, the Smarto Queen, like her, she and her minions find their way out into like the reality. And what's actually happened is, yeah, like a lot of humanity has ended, but like the ultra rich have, based on a series of escalating bets, uh, have created a series of sort of massive reserves where all different foodstuffs has been given sentience and is forced to eat itself. Uh, over and over again in perpetuity while the Conservative Party watches. You say that there's tuna in this, so I'm I'm assuming it's going to be called John Westworld. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is. there's now a tuna-specific world. <laughs> it's just that. I should point out all the things in this aren't like the size of normal. It's not like a normal-sized tomato with a yeah. face that you're running away from. Like, it's bigger. Yes. Um, the mm. tomato... The it's av- not Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Yeah, but there's no bigger. They're bigger than like a, a, a people size. But I think the avocados are like genuinely massive. <laughs> and it turns out the, the entire like really big, like dinosaur size, yeah. um, they are actually being farmed by the Tory party who's orchestrated this whole thing. Bloody Tories. So uh, once a year, the ruling elite of the humans who are secretly orchestrating this whole thing convinced one of the avocados that they're ascending to godhood but in actuality they're just eaten alive on toast and one avocado would go a long way presumably if they're the size of uh, a diplodocus or something. oh they're massive now are we are we voicing are we voicing the 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 fruit oh sorry the vegetable people. now you would think so wouldn't you but i'm gonna say no <laughs> the only three carolog- car- characters who can speak are the humans and no other characters have dialogue um I'm only saying that because it seems like the stupidest available choice. No, I think we should voice that. I feel like Andy Serkis could at least do the body oh, movements yeah. for the... Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I've just, I've just thought... Just, we'll come to this in a second, but I've just turned my, turned my piece of paper over. And my other idea was Waterworld, but one of the people in it has seen the film. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> Have we got a title uh, yet or did I did I miss it? No, we've not. I haven't come up with a title. Um, the Likely Salad? <laughs> nice. Oh, very Done. nice. So, what what kind of stunt do we think we could pull for this? So, if we uh, if we chucked a pail of water in people's faces for the first idea, it feels like there's fertile mm, yeah. ground here for some sort of salad based. Oh, really easy. We we go we go into the meeting. Yeah, uh, it's a lunch meeting. We start the lunch meeting off with a delicious salad for everybody, yeah. but as they eat it, it screams and bleeds. And then when they're like, "What's happening?" I'm like, "Imagine if this was a TV show." Yes, I, I, I like I like that your idea for a for a lunch meeting with commissioners is is not dissimilar to Eraserhead. 
Eraserhead got made, mate. Exactly. How do you think it got made? One of the yeah. one of the many things you can say about Eraserhead. Okay, so those are both of our newest contributions to the Because You Watched Slate under the subheading Post-Apocalypse Films. Rory, did you get all that? Yes, so uh, on my notes what we've got here is uh, Michael's idea, which is called Gamble Ramble, which is The Walking Dead meets Ocean's Eleven. The world is run by the money men. It's the bookies. They've been rigging horse races because horses are actually long extinct. What a scam. They're doing whatever they want. They live in luxury while the poor dream of raising enough money to become rich. But what's stopping them? Well... There's currently a deadly outbreak of COVID-73. I'm going to assume that's 3.8 times worse than COVID-19. It's probably a safe enough bet. Uh, They have to walk around the world half dead, eating human hair. But who are stuck in this world? Well, we've got Butter, who's in his 60s. He's a single parent with a child who has had the hair bitten. Now he needs to raise enough money, uh, so he has to travel to Durham and gamble for the first time in four years to try and raise the money to presumably rescue his daughter and her poor bitten hair. Each week, we vote off one character based on how good they are at singing a country song. It does mean that we have to film this every single week, just between the air dates, but I'm sure we'll make it happen because, as Michael said, in the post-apocalypse, everyone has to kind of play it by ear, and we're just doing that ourselves. Next up, we have Paul's idea, The Likely Salad, which has a protagonist who is a botanist called Cassandra Plants and her assistant who is just straight up Benedict Cumberbatch, as in the actor. And also her brother, whose name is Michael Legg, played by the uh, the actor Michael Legg, but playing the comedian Michael Legg. Um, they're up to total bog standard botany science stuff, really. And then, bam, there's a mishap in the plant lab and they're suddenly knocked out and cocooned and wake up an undefined amount of time later to find out that they're now in a world where salad rules. The salad world is ruled by a tomato empress who has a vice-like grip with her seed-based world, kicks off loads of wars involving (laughs) armies of salad eating each other, spraying each other with salad dressing. At the end of season one, we discover as they're running from the tomato queen that there are actually a series of different food-based worlds. And who's the person who set all this up? It's only those bloody elites again, doing it for their own amusement because they were bored. And those are the ideas we had today. Yay! It's officially on the Because You Watch Slate. Guys, thank you so much for your contributions. That was amazing. Thank you so much, guys. Um, thank you very much to Michael Legg and Paul Foxcroft. Michael, have you got anything to plug for us? Sure, I'll plug something. I do a podcast called Do The Right Thing. And at the moment, you can watch our Do The Right Thing Total Agony shows that are now up on YouTube. Foxy, Foxcroft, Paul Foxcroft, what would you like to plug? Um, I I host a uh, stupid show called Questing Time, where I make comedians play Dungeons and Dragons online. You can find that, uh, uh, we're, we're doing it on Twitch, and you can find the video archive currently at twitch.tv slash questing time slash videos. All that's left to say is that uh, to those are listening, obviously subscribe if you haven't. Why not? Just subscribe. It's so much easier. And then review us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. We are at You Watched Pod. This episode of Because You Watch featured Michael Legg, Paul Foxcroft, Rory Binks and me, Beck Hill. It was produced by Joe Grace and Martin Tricky. Yeah.